What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. A lot of exciting things have been posted at EthosFantasyBB over the last week or so. If you guys haven't checked it out, our draft guide has been launched. We have I'm going to say roughly 20 articles that are available in there now. It's hard to keep track. There's just so much stuff that has been added into that draft guide over the last couple of weeks since we launched it. Tons of articles regarding sleepers and bus players to target later on in your drafts. There's dynasty content. My ranks are up there. There is so much stuff to be had in the MLB draft guide at sportsethos.com. And you guys, if you are somebody who spends a lot of time on Twitter, I know that's kind of hard these days considering the way that the, the app, the website works. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I still find myself spending a lot of time on Twitter. If you guys do as well, go follow Ethos Fantasy BB, and then you guys get all of those new articles and podcasts in your feed. That's where this podcast gets posted from, the It's Gone podcast we recently launched with Britton Allen. Those episodes also get posted over at Ethos Fantasy BB, so make sure you're following. We're trying to build up that page so you guys are readily uh, receiving our in-season content, and also, of course, the rest of the stuff we post leading up to the season, because there are still going to be more articles that do come out. But today, you guys can tell based on the title, we are going to do another team preview, another dual team preview. We're going to be talking about the Rockies and the Cubs. Now, like I mentioned last week, we're kind of cutting it a little bit close to opening day now. Uh, It's March 6th. I believe opening day is on the 30th of March. I want to say it's March 30th. Uh, maybe it's the 31st. I think it is the 30th, though. So we are we are kind of pushing it when it comes to our content here, and that is my fault. Like I talked about uh, going back a few months now, it's obviously my first season doing content. I didn't have a proper schedule planned out for when I wanted everything to be done for because it's just I hadn't had any experience with it. And we're kind of cutting it a little bit close with these team previews, but they will be done over this next week. We're going to be hammering them out tomorrow. I'll be joined by Brent Hershey of Baseball HQ. We'll be talking about the Phillies, and we're going to just keep hammering them out over this next week, and maybe we push it into next week, one or two episodes. But I do want to start talking about some cool draft content. We're going to do a couple more mock drafts. We're going to do some ADP battles. We're going to talk pitching. We're going to talk hitting. we got a bunch of stuff still uh, before the season does get underway. And today we are going to do a joint team preview like we did on Friday. Two teams that aren't going to take up a whole hour in and of themselves because they're just not that deep. You could argue one of these teams, maybe, uh, but I think combined we can knock this out in about an hour. And that's the Rockies and the Chicago Cubs. And, you know, there are some things to like on both of these teams. Overall, we're not talking about great teams. Uh, Don't expect either of them to make the playoffs, but there are still some fantasy-relevant players that we are going to talk about. Now, typically, we go through the lineup from the top, and if we start with the Rockies, uh, that's where we'll be starting today with the Colorado Rockies. Jonathan Daza is projected to be the leadoff hitter. I don't see much of a need to be using him too much for fantasy. He's kind of like a later pick in your deeper league, somebody who can help out with batting average a little bit. Not really somebody I'd be targeting in your and your average leagues, in your in your 12-teamers, your 10-teamers, even in your standard 15-teamers. I don't really know that he does so much for you. We've seen it over the last couple of seasons. There's no power there. There's no speed, really. He's a decent little booster in batting average. And I guess if you're in a draft champions format, draft and hold format, he's going after pick 500. He can be a little bit of a boost to average for you. But he's not somebody that I'd be trying to start. You do miss out on a lot of other categories. The only place he's excelling is is batting average. Runs are not terrible. If he's leading off, then sure, uh, you might end up getting 60, 70 runs out of him. But there's really not a lot of upside in a Jonathan Daza pick as far as I can see it. Now, the guy projected to bat second in the lineup is Charlie Blackman, and he's kind of a hard one to figure out at this point. Charlie Blackman, I was targeting him in TGFBI as a fifth outfielder. Uh, he got taken from me before I could have used him as a fifth outfielder, and I think that's kind of where he lies. He's not somebody who I would be targeting in your standard size leagues, but if it's slightly deeper, he is still somebody who can give you decent power. You know, the last couple of seasons, it's definitely regressed. He's not hitting 35, you know, 30 to 35 home runs anymore. But it was 13 in 2021. It was 16 this past season to go along with decent counting stats. And he's also not killing you in the batting average department. Again, he's not what he once was. He's not an MVP candidate anymore who's hitting 330. You know, he had seasons with 40-plus steals, 37 home runs. Those are different years. It wasn't the same year. Uh, but there was a lot of incredible Charlie Blackman seasons. He had 137 runs in 2017. He's not doing that for you anymore. But I think, like I said, as a fifth outfielder, I think he does make sense. 
Um, you know, he's, he's a definitely a deeper league target if you're playing in your standard size leagues. He might be somebody that does have value throughout the season as a waiver wire ad, somebody that you plug in. If Colorado has a whole week at home or they're playing five games at home one week, then that's where I'd see his value in a shallower format. In general, I don't think that he's somebody you need to be targeting necessarily. But if it does get to the point like I got to in TGFBI where you do need a little bit of extra help in the outfield, somebody who doesn't really hurt you anywhere, he's not stealing 40 bases anymore. He's going to steal probably three or four of them at this point, and even that's not guaranteed now at age 36. He's going to be 37 years old in the middle of the season. So I don't know how much speed we're going to see, but a couple of stolen bases to go along with 10 or 15 home runs and probably you're talking about 120, 130 runs in RBIs combined. There is some value there in your deeper formats, but not somebody that I am targeting in your shallower leagues. Now, next up, Chris Bryant. And Chris Bryant, I talked about him a little bit over the course of the offseason. I'm in. I'm in on Chris Bryant. He's looked very good in spring training. Last season, it wasn't what you would have hoped for or expected out of him. He only played 42 games. He did not hit a home run at Coors Field, uh, which is... It's insanity, right? Coors Field is the home run park in baseball. I mean, okay, Great American Ballpark is probably better. It is better for home runs. Uh, but for Chris Bryant, he played 26 games of Coors, 111 plate appearances, no home runs. That's not good. He still batted 323. And that's the, that's the thing. Uh, and that was just at home. He batted 323. If you look at his batting average in total, it was 306 with five home runs, with 28 runs scored, 14 RBIs. It was not ideal, but he was also missed three quarters of the season with injury. You're buying back in at a discount this season. He's actually the most expensive member of the Colorado Rockies based on NFBC ADP data. He's going to pick 129. Maybe in some drafts you'll see Daniel Bard go ahead of him. Maybe even in some drafts you'll see C.J. Crone go ahead of him. But generally, Chris Bryant is the first member of this team off the board, and that does make sense to me. It's weird, and I've mentioned this before, that he doesn't have third base eligibility anymore. It's something we got to live with. He's not quite as valuable from a versatility standpoint for, for fantasy anymore. But can he still give you 25 home runs with good runs and RBIs, probably talking about 160 combined, 150, 160, to go along with a handful of steals and pretty solid batting average? I don't know exactly what the batting average will be. It's fluctuated a bit in recent years. But in Colorado, that will do wonders for your batting average in general. Batted 306 last year. For the career, he's a 279 hitter. And the projections are calling from anywhere from about 268 till about 289. I would take the higher end of that scale. If there was an over 270 bet for his batting average, I would take that in a whole season at Coors Field. He's still very valuable in on-base percentage formats because he's walking still about 10-plus percent of the time. It was 9.5% last season, but he's not. that's not something you can really look at so much over 42 games. Chris Bryant remains a really good value. Getting him outside the top 100 picks, I think that there is a lot of value there. People have kind of forgotten about him, kind of written him off at this point. He's only 31, and I know last season wasn't good, but he didn't really have a fair shake at it considering he was injured for most of the season. Give him a whole year at Coors, and I think next year we'll be talking about Chris Bryant again as a top 100 pick, and I think that will be a pretty easy, pretty easy bet next season that he'll be going in the top 100 picks. And there's also the fact that, you know, he is an outfielder, but he is somebody who can play all over the field at this point. Like, he can play third, he can play first, corner outfield. Maybe he does get a second position of eligibility throughout the season. Uh, it depends on where you're going to be playing. If it's the NFBC and he needs 20 games to gain that eligibility, probably not. But on your sites that you don't need as much, you need 5, 10 appearances, you might see him pick up 5 or 10 games at third base, especially considering there was the injury to Brendan Rodgers. And Ryan McMahon is probably going to have to move over to second base. That'll open up some more time at third base. Maybe we do see Chris Bryant gain that eligibility back. I know there's talk of Nolan Jones and uh, Ella Huris Montero. I believe I'm pronouncing that name right. Uh, you know, there's a chance that we do see Chris Bryant get enough ABs, get enough games started or appearances at third base or another position that he would have a second uh, position of eligibility this season. So just something to keep in mind. But let's keep it going now with the projected number four hitter in the lineup, and that's CJ Crone. I I don't know what to, what to feel how to feel about CJ Crone because like when he is at Coors he is amazing and even last season he had 102 RBIs he had 29 homers he batted 257 it's just the fact that he is nearly unusable away from Coors Field if you look at home and away last season fairly even split of course 73 games at home 77 on the road in the 73 home games 22 home runs and he batted 302. In the 77 away games, he had seven home runs and he batted 214. 
That's something that is not really baked into that ADP. It is a little bit, I guess, but he's still going very routinely inside the top 130 picks, 140 picks. Right now, the ADP is at 139. Uh, just looking at the most recent 15 draft champions that have taken place over the last couple of weeks. That's where he's going. I personally do not want to have to deal with CJ Crone. It's easier in a daily changes league where you can have somebody else on the bench where you can slot in when Colorado is away from Coors Field because C.J. Crone, in those situations, he's not going to do so much for you. If you are able to just use him at home, then there's a lot more value to be had there. If you're in a weekly league, you know, there was some talk in the preseason, and I can't remember before the preseason, actually. I believe it was Kevin Hastings on the Sleeper on the Bus podcast. Kevin Hastings of Pitcher List. He's one of the co-hosts of the On the Wire podcast. Um, he was talking about how Colorado's games will be split, and for a lot of the season, there will be full weeks at home and then full weeks away from Coors Field. So it might make the decision to sit or start him a lot easier. If you have a whole week at Coors Field, yes, then you start you start C.J. Crone. If they are going to be away for the entire week, or let's say they're playing two games at home, five games on the road, uh, you're likely going to need to be sitting him. And I think down the stretch, it will be kind of binary. It'll be a whole week at home, or it'll be a whole week on the road. Uh, so that'll make it a little bit easier, but you'll still need to have somebody else who you can fill in at first base when you want to be sitting C.J. Crone. There's just too many complications for me there with drafting him, especially where he's going. Uh, you know, it's not like it's egregiously high, the price, but for where it is, uh, you know, I'd rather go with like an Andrew Vaughn type. There's a couple of other guys in that range that I would much prefer where you don't have to really worry so much about the week-to-week stuff. You just kind of set it and forget it. With Crone, you always have to be looking at where they're playing and especially in, well, not even either in daily or weekly changes. In either one, it's going to be a bit of a headache for you. So for me, I'm kind of avoiding it. You know, he's even though he's at Coors Field, the batting average did, you know, it was a 257 last season. As good as it was on the road, it did average out to being, you know, still above average, considering the way the Major League Baseball is at batting average these days. It's still above average, but it's not something that's such a great asset for him. So, I'm not big on C.J. Crone. I'm not really targeting him in drafts this season. Not somebody that I, I really want to be invested in. Now, Ryan McMahon, he is the projected fifth hitter in this lineup. I'm all in on Ryan McMahon. I talked about it as recently as a couple weeks ago, I guess. He was number 10 in my third base rankings. And I think that there's a lot of value where he's going after pick 200 in most drafts. Every year, Ryan McMahon is giving you 20 home runs. He's done it for the last three full seasons. It was 24, it was 23, and it was 20. Going back, and I skipped over 2020 because, you know, it was only 52 games. And even in those 52 games, he had nine home runs. He's still hitting at a more than 20 home run pace. That's closer to a 30 home run pace. All the different projection systems this year, minimum 20 home runs, minimum 69 runs, and minimum 69 RBIs for those projections. So you're getting 20-plus home runs. You're getting about 140 maybe even 150 runs in RBIs. You're getting a handful of steals because these last three full seasons, five steals, six steals, and seven steals. You're going to get one of those three numbers again this season, almost guaranteed. He'll steal between five and seven bases. And he's given you a decent enough batting average considering everything else he does. He's about a 250 hitter. Last year was 246, year before 254, and the year before that it was 250. He's about a 250 hitter with a pretty good walk rate, who's in a great park, good home run numbers, There's a lot to like with Ryan McMahon. He's kind of forgotten about at this position, even though it's a terrible position. Third base sucks. Going through the offseason, third base is really the position where if you miss out on, you're screwed. And you might miss out on it and get yourself Ryan McMahon, and you'd be okay. And he's one of the only guys in this range that I really think are going to be acceptable, and even then some, at the position of third base. So Ryan McMahon... I've talked about him on my third base ranking show. He is definitely a target of mine. He has a potential as well now to gain second base eligibility, and I think he will based on what we've heard out of Colorado, that they want him to play second base now with Brendan Rodgers being injured, and then they're going to figure out third base. They're going to platoon probably a little, not platoon as if he's going to sit, but they're going to mess around a little bit in terms of who plays where on any given night. So I think Ryan McMahon will also gain second base eligibility this season. That would just make him that much more valuable because second base is another one of those barren, awful positions. So Ryan McMahon truly is somebody that I am targeting. I will reach around ahead of ADP for. You get that incredible position eligibility. He also played 10 times at first last season. Or excuse me, only one time at first. It was 10 times at second. Never mind. Uh, I misread that. Uh, but he is capable of playing all over the infield. <clears throat> He'll pick up second base almost certainly. 
And then there's potential for a few appearances at first base. Maybe he gets first base eligibility in some of those more shallow formats where you just need five games to qualify. So there's a lot to like about Ryan McMahon. I think that there is truly not much wrong you can do taking him after pick 200. I wouldn't necessarily be planning on it. You know, try and get yourself a, a one of the more elite third basemen, and if he falls to you, then he falls to you. Like I, I'm, I'm fine with planning that out. It's just a little bit risky to say, okay, I'm going to take Ryan McMahon. I'll avoid third base before that, and then I'll get him because you never know what's going to happen in a draft. You should always take the best. Generally, you should take the best player available when you are drafting. But Ryan McMahon, should you miss out on third base, should you get to the point where you're at pick 160, 170, and you think, I don't have a third base, I need another corner infielder here, I would be pretty interested in taking a look at Ryan McMahon and slotting him into your lineup, especially if he ends up with second base as well. Because I'm not crazy about, you know, you need to get the positional eligibility guys, but at that price, at those two positions, I think it's a really solid bargain. The next couple guys in the lineup don't really interest me so much. Sean Bouchard, Nolan Jones, Elias Diaz. There's not so much there for fantasy as far as I see it. Nolan Jones, slightly interesting to me. You know, in the in minor leagues, he did some pretty good things. We saw a good little mix of power and speed, good walk rate. The batting average was never good in the minor leagues, though. The strikeout rates were always really high. Even in the minor leagues, you're talking about 30% K rate guy. I don't know that there's going to be so much value to be had here. 28 games in the majors last season. He had two home runs, did strike out 33% of the time, and he batted 244. Can he go up from there a bit? Yeah. Um, but I don't see much need to draft Nolan Jones in your regular shallow formats. He's going around pick 440 in these most recent drafts. The price has gone up a little bit. I don't really see the need to be taking him. Deeper leagues, draft champions, sure, I could, I could see it. But even the projections only have him playing about half the games this season. The biggest game total for the projections is from Zips at 107. Most of them have him playing 79 games. I just don't see much of a value there. Deeper formats, if you want to speculate, then okay. Uh, but not somebody that I'm really targeting. And Elias Diaz is more like a catcher too. If you end up with him as your second catcher in a two-catcher format, that's totally fine. He's not somebody that I'd be targeting as your one catcher. He doesn't do much for you. Last season, 105 games. Granted, probably less power than he should have had. We usually see a little bit more from him. Like, I don't think we're going to see single-digit home runs necessarily. But it was only nine home runs. The season prior was 18. And, you know, a couple of years before that, it was 10 home runs. He did have a couple of seasons where there was missing time in 2020. 2019, though, he played 100 games and hit two homers. So, like, the power is not guaranteed from him. The counting stats lower on in that lineup are definitely not guaranteed. You're guaranteed to get about zero steals because he's stolen one base in his career over nearly 500 games, so you're not getting power, and you're not getting batting average. He's a 243 career hitter. Last season, 228, 246 the year prior. He's like a back-end C2. He's not somebody that I would be targeting. If you end up with him, then you're probably fine. You'll probably end up with enough games played there that you'll, you'll get decent production probably as a C2, uh, but you can probably tell from my enthusiasm level with Elias Diaz that he's not somebody that I'm going to be targeting. A guy that I am targeting, and I'd like to see him at the top of this lineup, ideally, is Ezekiel Tovar. And I've talked about him a lot on the show. He was pretty high up in my in my shortstop rankings, and i honestly thinking about putting him a little bit higher even. There's a lot to like with Ezekiel Tovar. The potential is totally there for 15 home runs, 15 steals, and a good batting average. Probably not going to hit 300, but I think he can hit 275, 280. And the projections generally are calling for like the lowest one is 268 the highest is 275 i am i'm totally there with ezekiel tovar on the price he is still going outside of the top 200 picks 226 actually and he's giving you value at that range where you're probably not getting from many other if not any other players the projections like the lowest projection for him is from the bad x and it's 12 home runs or i guess you could look at zips which is technically a little bit lower 12 home runs and 10 steals with a 275 average at that price, you're getting decent enough runs in RBIs where, you know, the projections, some of them are calling for about 140, some of them calling for about 115 or so. But anywhere in that range, after pick 200, a guy with that kind of dual threat playing in course Field, I know he's at the bottom of the lineup, but I think he is somebody where you look at it over the course of the season, will Jonathan Daza still lead off in Ezekiel Tovar bat ninth? I don't know. I wouldn't expect that. I mean, the Rockies do some weird stuff. 
It's not like Daza gets on base a crazy amount. His on-base percentage is 350 last season with a 301 batting average, only a 6% walk rate. I think they should put Tovar in the leadoff spot, and I think that they probably will at some point over the season. I think that this is a really great value pick to take here. Uh, he is going at pick 226. The maximum pick in just the last few weeks is 251. The minimum is 195. He really fits into that range, and I've talked about this on the show before with multiple other players and maybe even Tovar. He fits perfectly into that range of taking with the last pick in your home league. In your 12-team league, last round, second last round, Ezekiel Tovar is a great target for somebody that you can have in a middle infield slot. You can have him as your starting shortstop, and I'd be pretty okay with that if you want to wait on shortstop, go for other positions, or you could even have him as a bench player if it's a shallow enough format and you slot him in there when you need a little bit of extra speed, when you need a little bit of extra batting average, because he can do a lot. We're talking about a five-tool fantasy player here who is going very late in drafts. He's not somebody that is being hyped up so much. I put a couple bucks on him as Rookie of the Year in the National League. I think it was plus 1,200 or something, plus 1,300. I'm no gambling expert. I'm not saying to go and do that, but I really like the potential here for Ezekiel Tovar. I think that he could break out the season in a big way. We've only seen nine games at the major league level. Still don't know exactly what he can be, but if the minor league levels are any indication, I think Tovar can be very, very good. Potential 300 hitter going forward, potential 2020 threat for the next 10 seasons. I don't know if he's going to do it this year, but I think 15 and 15 can definitely be done. Now, in terms of the bench options, nobody to really go into so much depth on. Montero is a little bit interesting, Elahuris Montero. But again, he's like a deep, deep league option for me. We saw some decent power in the minor leagues, but I just don't really think that we're going to see so much of an opportunity for him. The projections calling from, you know, Zips is calling for 119 games from him. All the other ones are calling for between 40 and 70 games. I generally... I don't know, maybe he'll get to like 75, 80 games, best case scenario. But again, he is somebody where you got to be looking at a pretty deep league to want to draft him. His ADP is about 500. He's not somebody that I would be reaching up to draft at all. And that's pretty much it for, for the players, for the position players there. I know Harold Castro potentially could be kind of interesting if he were to be given at-bats, but he won't be given regular regular at-bats. You know, the batting average, definitely there for him. Uh, but there's not so much that he's going to do, and he's not going to be given the opportunity to do it, I don't think, either. So uh, there's not much need to take an interest in Harold Castro. I think he is probably is, is he even being drafted, Harold Castro. I don't even think he's being drafted. He is kind of interesting, but I, I don't think there's going to be any real path to fantasy value for him, unfortunately. And then with the pitchers, we're talk, you want to talk about a hard path to fantasy value. Pitching in one of the worst, if not the worst, pitcher parks in baseball is going to do that for you. There's only one pitcher in the starting rotation projected for a sub-5 ERA, and that's Herman Marquez. And he's only he's the really only one that's interesting enough to talk about for me from a fantasy point of view. Herman Marquez, there were times last season where I was very, very interested in him when he was away from Coors Field. And that's the huge caveat. You cannot start any of these guys at home. Like, there, Will there be starts at home where Rockies pitchers or pitchers in general have good outings? Of course there are. But as a rule of thumb... You see your guys are going into Coors Field or you have Rocky starters. God forgive you if you got Rocky starters and you start them at Coors Field because it's not going to go well. It's just not. Marquez is the best example of the difference between the home and the away splits. I mean, C.J. Crone does a good job of illustrating that from a batter's point of view. But when you look at the, at the pitcher, so Mar- Marquez threw 87 home innings. He threw 94 away innings last season. In the 87 home innings, he had a 6 70 ERA, and he allowed 19 home runs. 317 batting average against, 563 slugging. In the 94 away innings, he had a 334 ERA. He allowed 11 home runs, a 204 batting average against, and a 364 slug. Again, not somebody that I am targeting in any draft, really, but when it comes to streaming on the road, Herman Marquez will have some value. I don't know if it'll be every single start it probably won't be every single start because he's not like some great pitcher or anything like that but if you're getting Herman Marquez like let's say it's a two-start week where both starts are away from Coors even if there's one start away from Coors you might risk it depending on how desperate you are but he's specifically there for when you got two starts away from Coors Field which will probably be two maybe three weeks throughout the regular season if you're lucky where he'll have a two-step and neither of them will be at home 
those are the times when I would look to stream him. I would throw a little bit of fab on him and try and get him into your lineup for that week because that's where I think he'll have value. Will the other guys in the rotation potentially have some value away from home? I don't know. I don't think so. Kyle Freeland, Jose Urania, Austin Gomber, and Connor Siebold, they're just none of them have big strikeout upside. Again, it's pitching in Coors Field. It's pitching for not a great team here in Colorado, so that limits the win upside. There's no need to take an interest in really any of these guys. And drafters generally are staying away. Marquez has the highest ADP for a pitcher here outside of Daniel Bard, who we'll talk about in a second. But Marquez at 493 has the highest ADP for a starting pitcher on this team. Followed by Freeland at 655, Danielson Lamette at 681, and then there's a couple other random guys like Gomber is going at 747. He's not even being drafted. There's a couple of starters in this in this rotation who, who aren't even being drafted in draft and hold formats. And that's just the way it is. They're just not good enough that they should be on your roster. And even if they were, you know, a little bit better than they are, they're pitching in Colorado. So there's really just no value to be had with any of these Rockies arms other than Marquez. I think on the road, there can be some streaming value, but otherwise. I would be just staying away. Now, the bullpen, also interesting here. Interesting. I mean, you could use that word in a multitude of different definitions here. Daniel Bard is the closer, and Daniel Bard is the only guy in the pen that I would feel any level of comfort drafting. That being said, I think he's going to start falling down drafts as people start to realize, okay, Last season was very good for Daniel Bard. He had a 179 ERA, and he had 34 saves. It was a miracle. Like, it's a total, total miracle. He hasn't been a necessarily like a bad home run guy in his career, allowing a lot of home runs. But generally, he's been not the greatest. Last season, it was a .45 homers per nine. He had a 221 BABIP. He stranded 81% of base runners. A lot of things that he did last season he had not done before, specifically that ERA. Now, he outperformed his pitching indicators by about a run, run and a half, which you're going to do when your ERA is so low. It's very rare that you'd have an ERA that low, and the, the indicators actually back it up. You know, there's only a couple guys, you know, Emmanuel Classe off the top of my head, somebody like that where they have you know a sub-1.5, sub-2 ERA, and the numbers actually back it up. Now, Bard's underlying numbers weren't terrible last season, but I think we're putting our eggs into the basket of, you know, I'm paying for last year's numbers with him. Strikeouts are pretty good. Last couple of years, they have been pretty good. But the walk rate is also bad. Again, pitching in Colorado, there are going to be some blowups. I think last season was, was a total miracle. And what we're going to see this year is closer to what we saw in 2021, where he had 20 saves, but it came with a 521 ERA. And the whip was, where was his whip that year? 1.6. I think that that's a lot. Maybe it won't be that bad, but I think that's a lot more likely from a guy who is going to be 38 years old in the next couple of months, pitching for one of the worst teams in baseball at one of the worst parks in baseball. There's just not a lot of hope that I'd have in Daniel Bard. I think the price is a little bit too high. He's going around pick 130. I think that at that range, I'd wait a little bit and I'd go for a Pete Fairbanks, a Carlos Estevez, an Alex Lang. I don't see the need to draft Bard at this range. I think in my TGFBI league, he fell about 50 spots. I think he went around pick 180, and at that range, that's probably where he should be going. 130 just feels a little bit too expensive for Daniel Bard right now, and I think that that's going to remain the same. Unless he starts getting pushed down draft boards a little bit, maybe he does, uh, but I just don't have so much interest right there. Now, Randall Grichuk is the last guy that is kind of interesting. Now, he is injured. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm just going to take a quick peek and see when he is expected to be back. Uh, it's not likely that he will be there to start uh, opening day. So I don't like going into the season with injured players. I don't think it'll be a terribly long absence. But at the same time, um, he did have surgery first week of February. Uh, it was a sports hernia surgery. I don't think it'll be that serious, but I just don't really want to go into the season drafting somebody who is already probably going to miss at least a few weeks. The price is okay. You know, he's going around pick 310, roughly. three. Yeah, exactly 310 here is his ADP. I think it's probably okay, depending on your level of risk that you want to take with him. I, you know, There could be some value there if he does come back relatively soon. He could give you 20-plus home runs. That's generally who he's been, a 20-25 home run guy. 
Albright runs in RBIs and probably a decent batting average in Colorado, projecting probably about 260 based on what the other projections are calling for. He had a 259 average last season. I just don't really want to go into the season drafting somebody who's injured. In a shallower format, 10 and 12 team league, I would not be drafting Randall Grichuk. If he does pick it up in the first couple of weeks of the season, then you can add him in probably pretty easily. But he is not somebody that I would be going out of my way to draft. Now that's pretty much it for the Rockies overall. I think they're okay. I don't think that they're great by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, For the most part, I'm staying away from a lot of these guys, especially the pitchers. In terms of the hitters, I think Chris Bryant's a great value. I think Blackman is an all right value. And Ryan McMahon, like that's pretty much it. CJ Crone, if you know how to use him properly. Oh, and I forgot about Tovar. Ezekiel Tovar at the bottom there too. So it's Tovar, Bryant, Ryan McMahon are the guys that I would be going for. And then Blackman, kind of. And then CJ Crone. It really depends on if you want to deal with the headache of having to have somebody else in your lineup who can play first base. Because... I just don't know that we're going to see that kind of value from him on the road where you'd be comfortable starting him week in and week out, even day in and day out. Uh, there'll be a lot of 0 for 4s on the road with three or four strikeouts from Crone, and I just personally would rather avoid it. If you want to take him, by all means, just make sure that you do have a backup plan there because on the road, man, like it's... I'm going to take a look at his, at his K rate on the road real quick. Um, last season, I think it was... It was 28%, and it was only 23.5%, or just about 24% at home. But it's definitely worse away from Coors Field um, without that Colorado air. Definitely something to remember with C.J. Crone, not somebody that I'd be really targeting. But let's talk about the other team we're going to go through today, and that is the Chicago Cubs. A little bit more interesting, potentially, in the lineup. In terms of the pitching, probably as well, because they're away from... They're not at Coors Field, like the guys we were just talking about. But let's get into it. Let's get started off with Nico Horner. Nico Horner is somebody that I have been pretty interested in so far in draft season. He's going, I think, maybe a little high at pick 134, but I definitely understand it, right? We're talking about somebody who is 25 years old. He'll be 26 in season. But last year, he broke out. He gave you 10 home runs when he hadn't hit a home run since 2019. He had 10 of them. He stole 20 bases when his previous career high was 5, and he batted 281, which was pretty pretty much expected. He's a guy who you're, you're looking at as close to a 300 hitter likely going forward. It was the 10 home runs and the 20 steals for me that did kind of come out of nowhere and surprise me. Now, what to do with him? I don't know exactly what to do with him. I think that he will be fine. I think that he'll give you decent value, I just don't know if it'll be what he gave you last year. And he's kind of being drafted with the expectation that his numbers will be at least similar to last season. And the projections generally calling for a similar year. Eight, nine, ten home runs. uh, 18 to 22 stolen bases in there. You're looking at 65, 70 runs, which feels maybe a little high. And then about 60 RBIs. I don't really see the need to be drafted Nico Horner at this price, as much as I do like him, I just think that there are guys in this range that you could probably be going after that would give you the same level of upside. And I'm just going to pull up the quickly the guys who are going in this range. I just I don't love the price. I don't hate it. I think that there could be value there. He'll get second base eligibility as well fairly early in the season. But, you know, he's going right around the same range where you can get Tyler Stevenson. Totally different position, I know. But you can get Tyler Stevenson, lock up your catcher. Or you can get Christian Walker. Uh, you can get Andrew Vaughn about a round later. You can get a couple other guys who I also feel pretty comfortable about. Rowdy Telez. You can get Matt Chapman. You can lock up third base. Guys So we generally know uh, with a little bit more certainty what they're going to do. Maybe Rowdy Telez, you know, is he going to hit you 30 home runs again? Probably. Uh, but it's it's a more of a sure bet that he's going to give you 30 home runs than it is that Nico Horner is going to give you 10. Like He's not a guy with a lot of power. He's really not... The last couple seasons have showed that, despite that they weren't full years. The guy literally had not hit a home run since 2019. And then he hit 10. So it's hard to look at that and say, yeah, he'll hit 10 again, because maybe he hits three. Would it shock anybody if he hit three? I don't think it'd shock anybody if he hit 16. But I, I really don't know what to make of that particular total. I just feel like we're probably expecting a little bit too much based on what he gave us last season. I don't hate him. I think the price is a little bit too high. The more I look at it, I'd like to have a share or two. I just don't know if I will, just based on where he is going in drafts. 
Now, Dansby Swanson is projected to be the number two hitter in this lineup. I, again, I don't know what to make of Dansby Swanson. He's coming off a year where he was nearly setting career highs in all five Roto categories. He was a couple of home runs shy of his previous career high, which he did in 2021. It was only two home runs shy, 25 versus 27. But he upped his run, his best run total by 21. He had eight more RBIs than he had ever had. He stole 18 bases where his previous high was 10, and he batted 277. I guess he batted 302 over 38 games in his rookie year. Let's not count that, though, because that doesn't really count, truly. This was by far the best season that Dansby had ever given you. I talked about him last season throughout the year as being somebody to sell high on, and he ended up generally keeping the value that he had throughout the year. He wasn't somebody who fell off a huge cliff. I think he was a little bit better in the first half than the second half, but generally he had good value still in the second half. He hit 10 home runs. Uh, He stole how many bases was it? Oh, I'm getting all lost here on on fan graphs. Um, He had a good, decent second half. He batted 254. He had 10 home runs. In general, he was still pretty decent. Um, he was not bad. He stole four bases, which was not as many in the first half. Um, I, I wanted to sell high on him in a lot of leagues. I wasn't really able to where I had him, and he was fine. Uh, but he's going to a worse team. He's going to a much worse team, really. I mean, we're talking about the Braves, and he was batting atop the Braves lineup last season. He's, you know, There's not many more enviable situations that you can be in as a batter than leading off for a team like the Braves. Leading off or batting second for the Cubs... It's not as ideal. That run total is going to go down, and the projections are calling for that, which is good. The RBI is certainly going to go down. He's not driving in 96 again. Maybe the steals remain relatively similar, 18. I think that's probably about the high water mark you can be aiming for. I think it's probably going to be 12 or 13 steals. Maybe he gets 20 home runs again. Probably on the low end, like 21, 22 is the best-case scenario. The highest projection is 24. I just think last year was kind of a perfect season for him and to expect it to be replicated, you might be asking a little bit too much. I think the price is generally okay. I'm not in love with it at 81. I think it's fine, but I wouldn't be tripping over myself to go and grab Dansby. I think that for the most part, you know, I'd rather wait 120, 140 picks and get Ezekiel Tovar because I think that you're getting not the same production. You're getting different production, but you're still getting somebody who's going to help you out in five categories to a lesser extent. But of course, you're talking about 140 picks. You're talking about you can get eight or 10 different, depending on your format, eight, 10, 12 different people in between there and still end up with Tovar, who's going to, I don't think, be too far off from Dansby Swanson come season's end in terms of rankings and whatnot. So um, I think Dansby will probably be a little bit higher, don't get me wrong, but for the price difference, I don't know that I'd be willing to pay it. Personally, I think Dansby should be going a little bit farther down. He is not somebody that I'm going out of my way to target in drafts. I think that he'll be fine, uh, but I don't think that he'll be exceptional like he was last season. Last year, he was like a borderline first-round player. I don't think we're going to see that again. Uh, I put a lot of money on it that we won't. But let's move on and talk about the number three hitter in this lineup, and that's Ian Happ. And he is somebody who does interest me to some degree. He's another guy who doesn't really hurt you anywhere. He's given you a little bit of production across the board, Going around pick 150, and if you know if the last couple seasons or any indication, you're going to get about 20 home runs. You're going to have about 65, 70 runs, 65 to 70 RBIs. And with these increased rules, I think we're going to see close to double-digit steals from him. He has nine in each of the last two seasons. The projections are calling from anywhere from seven to 11 steals. That's totally reasonable to expect anywhere in that range. I think probably on the higher end, though, honestly, if you look at what he's done these last couple of seasons, nine steals. Each year, uh, in terms of the caught stealings, he was caught twice in 2021, and he was caught four times in 2022. I think with these rules, we'll see a couple of those times where he would have been caught. You know, the attempts are generally the same year in and year out for him. He's attempting 12, 13, 14 steals every year when he's healthy and playing a full season. Uh, You know, take away 2019 and 2020. But generally, you're looking at about 13, 14 steal attempts from him. I think we could see him have a bit of a higher success rate with these new rules. He's not somebody who's going to blow you away with the speed. But, you know, low-end double-digit homers to go along with about – or low-end double-digit steals, excuse me, to go along with about 20 homers. He's not going to hurt you in batting average. He was a 270 hitter last year, about a 250 hitter for the career. Again, he's not going to give you a huge boost in that category. But he's certainly not going to hurt you either. He's somebody who 
Did play most of the games these last couple of seasons, which you know I'd caution is not necessarily an indicator that he'll play all the games this season. But it's certainly nicer to look at as opposed to somebody like a Mondesi or a Buxton or whoever who misses a ton of time. At least he's out there. He's giving you decent production. He is bad in third, so there should be a decent amount of RBI and run opportunities for him. He's not really hurting you anywhere at his price. I think that it's a, a, not, I'm not going to say a bargain, but I think he's, he's very fairly priced. Now, number four in this lineup is Trey Mancini, Trey Boo Boo. I like him a lot. I think people don't really necessarily care so much about Trey Mancini for fantasy. I think that that's kind of a bit of an oversight. First base and outfield eligible. He is projected about fourth in this lineup. Maybe he bats fourth. Maybe he bats fifth. But he is somebody that we have seen 25-30 home run kind of guy. 24-24-35-21-18 and 18 over these last five seasons. The 35 did come in 2019 for happy fun ball season. Uh, you kind of have to ignore that a little bit, but generally still, you're, he's a 20 home run guy. The runs, probably going to be looking at 60 to 70, and the RBIs, I think that's where there's a bit of a wild card, because he could give you 80 RBIs, batting fourth in that lineup. Again, it's not the greatest lineup in the world, but Herner, Swanson, and Ian Happ all above him, you could see him get into 80 RBIs, and I think that that's not much of a stretch. The projections are calling for about 57 to 70 range, 57 to 69 range, I would push the higher end of that spectrum. I think he's going to play most days. Projections are calling for anywhere from 120 to 138 games. I bet kind of the higher side of that, he's somebody that you can play at first. He can play in the outfield. He can DH for you. I think that he will be slotted in most days. Not going to give you much of a boost in terms of batting average or stolen bases, but he's not being drafted very high up. He's going around pick uh, 265. And at that point, you're getting somebody with dual eligibility, who's going to give you 20-ish home runs, decent counting stats. And again, the cleanup hitter in any major league team is likely worthy of a roster spot on your team. I think with Mancini, it's no different. We've seen, again, it was 2019, but we saw 97 RBIs. We've also, in other seasons, seen 78 and 71. This last season, it was only 63, bouncing around a couple different teams, different lineup spots. It wasn't the greatest year for Trey, and he still gave you 18 homers and 63 ribbies. So I think there's definitely still room for him to give you a very, very good fantasy season. We've seen very good batting averages from him in the past outside of just the 2019 season as well. 2017, he batted 293. It is within his range of outcomes to give you a very good batting average, even though last year we didn't see it. I'd be buying back in at the price. Personally, I think that it is very reasonable to pay a mid-200s pick for Trey Mancini. Sometimes you're getting him in the late 200s. His max pick just over the last couple of weeks is 292. So there is a lot of value with Trey Mancini. I think for this season, he's somebody who is, I would want to go out there and say that I'm necessarily targeting him. But if it gets to that point in the draft and he's sitting there, he's definitely somebody to consider. Now, this guy coming up is very, very hard to figure out, and that's Cody Bellinger. Now, the argument a lot of people have said, and it's a very, very sound argument, is that if the Dodgers, who are one of the best organizations in all of baseball developmentally, cannot fix whatever went wrong with Bellinger, then why would the Cubs, who are a much lesser organization, be able to fix it? Or any other organization, for that matter, be able to do something when the great Dodgers could not? Part of it, I think, is going to be getting out of the Los Angeles media. Even though Chicago is still a big market, the Cubs still have a big market media market around them it's not quite los angeles los angeles fans are you know more forgiving than you're talking like yankees and red sox fans but still they were getting on him by the end of it he was not somebody who was necessarily endeared by the fan base over these last couple of seasons it was kind of a precipitous fall from his 2019 mvp year where he was truly incredible Bad at 305, he had 47 homers, 121 runs, 115 ribbies, and he stole 15 bases. We've seen him come crashing down in every year since. Hasn't been healthy except for this past season, and he actually gave you a pretty decent line. I know that it's not what we expected. Definitely not what we would have hoped for, but he still gave you 19 home runs, 14 stolen bases. That'll play for fantasy. Even though he had a bad batting average at 210, Counting stats were probably not what you would have hoped for in that lineup. 70 runs, 68 ribbies. They weren't bad. You know, you're getting 140 runs in RBIs. The batting average is the only thing that's really, truly dragging you down, and you can compensate for that, specifically where he is going in drafts. About pick 180 on average. At that range, I think that that's totally reasonable when you factor in 
he is in a new team, and that could go poorly. But I think there's more chance that it has an opposite effect. That getting out of Los Angeles, a fresh, brand new start for Bellinger, I think we're going to see 20 home runs and probably 15 steals from him. At least, at least 10 steals and 20 home runs. That's what I'd be calling for. You know, the batting average these last couple of years has been disappointing, but it's not who he is necessarily. We saw years of 260 plus batting averages for the first three years of his career. 2019, even if you want to throw that 305 batting average away, he shouldn't be a 210 hitter. He just should not be that bad. And he is not that bad in general. It's been a couple of really hard years for Bellinger, and I could be wrong here. Maybe he gets worse going away from Los Angeles, and you take away those great coaches and that great organization, and he loses another step potentially. But I would definitely bet, especially at the price, that he will bounce back and at least give you a better fantasy season. I'm not expecting MVP Bellinger, but I am expecting a bit of a boost from what we've seen over these last couple of years. It's been a dreadful stretch. Even that being said, though, he was still fantasy relevant last year. He just needs a little bit of a boost in batting average to really be a great fantasy asset again. And again, he's not going to be a first-round player. He's not going to win MVP. But can he be a borderline top 100 fantasy asset? I think he can. At the price, I'm willing to find out. It's a little bit difficult to pull the trigger on him, for sure. But at the price, I think that you guys should be paying attention to, to Cody Bellinger. Now, the rest of the lineup doesn't really interest me so much. Eric Hosmer, uh, you know, there's been some seasons where he was fantasy relevant. Even last year, he had stretches where he was very good to start the season. At the end of the day, though, all he's doing is giving you a little bit of a boost in batting average, maybe a couple of home runs. Maybe he's stealing a couple of bags, but at this rate of his career, this point of his career, probably not. He didn't steal at all last season. It was five stolen bases the year before and four the year prior to that, and those four came in 2020 over just 38 games. Can he steal a little bit? A little bit. Am I drafting Eric Hosmer in any format here? Probably not. If you're talking about like a draft and hold, he's going around pick 500 at that rate. I think it's fine. I think there's no need to really worry one way or the other, uh, but he's not somebody that I am necessarily going to be targeting here. He's not... And not even necessarily. He's just not somebody that I want to be invested in. Um, just interesting here, looking at the ADP numbers. Um, they have Franmil Reyes listed as a Cub. I thought Franmil Reyes was a member of the Royals, but I am I wrong there? Have I missed something? Let me just make sure here. No, he's with the Royals. Yeah, I think that there's just something lagging behind uh, on the website for a second there. I was thinking that maybe Franmil would factor into this team as well, but no. Um, Eric Hosmer, though, just to, to close that off, there's no real interest there for me. Deeper league, you're hoping for some playing time down the stretch. If someone gets injured at first base, then maybe there's some interest there, uh, but otherwise, not really for me. Um, the rest of this lineup, Patrick Wisdom, there's a little bit of power there, but he's you know it's coming at the expense of your batting average in a big way, so I wouldn't really be interested in him. Tucker Barnhart and Jan Gomes, I think, are going to probably split reps behind the plate. No interest in either one of those guys for me. Even in draft and holds, like, okay, maybe in a draft and hold, you'll take some interest in them, but where are they going? Jan Gomes at 470 and Tucker Barnhart at 640. They don't even fit into the second catcher conversation for me, especially because they're going to split reps. I think they're going to split reps anyway, some kind of lefty-righty platoon. They're both like third, fourth catchers in a deep draft and hold um, just kind of hoping for playing time down the stretch if one of your main guys gets hurt. But there's no real interest there for me. Uh, the last guy in this lineup who does have some bit of interest is Christopher Morell. And Morell at times last year was very good. He was a godsend from a couple of my teams for stretches. Uh, he ended up with an all right line, pretty decent overall when you consider the fact that he kind of came out of nowhere. I know that he was pretty good in double A in 2021, but I don't think people were expecting 16 home runs and 10 steals out of him at the big league level. The problem with him, or the big one, is the strikeout rate. Last year at the big league level, it was over 30%. Pretty routinely in the minor leagues, even over 30%. We saw it even at A ball. You know, double A that year where he was very good, it was, uh, yeah, it was essentially 30% K rate, 29.7. And then when he went up to triple A, it was 25% over a smaller sample size. Just that's going to be a problem for him. Um, the K rate, if he doesn't bring that down, he'll probably be at the bottom of this lineup, and I just don't see a ton of upside in Morel. Um, his eligibility, I think, is going to be kind of interesting this year because he did bounce around. He played 57 times in center last year, 
33 times at second, 18 times at third, 13 times at short. There is a potential for him to be kind of a super utility guy. He's going to start the year on the NFBC with second base and outfield. I could see him picking up another position over the course of the season. Maybe it's third base. Maybe it's shortstop. Probably not shortstop considering Dansby's there. Um, but maybe third base. I, I could see him picking up another position there. I just don't really love what you're likely going to get out of him. Even though there is some potential there, I think that we probably saw about as much as we're going to see from him. And I know that's kind of limiting him as a 23-year-old to say this as much as we're going to see. From a fantasy point of view, I think that we won't see nearly as good of a season from Morrell. He'll be at the bottom of the order. Even though he's going to play, I think, fairly regularly, it's going to limit the runs and RBIs. The power, you know, can he give you 15 home runs and 10 steals? I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess there is some interest with Morrell. I just personally don't really want to be dealing with the nine-hitter in the Cubs lineup in my in my starting lineup, you know. With him and Bellinger, the projections are not terribly far off, but you're talking about, like, the four-hitter versus the nine-hitter. Bellinger likely to give you more counting stats, even though the homers and steals are probably going to be fairly similar. It, it, maybe I have some, some light interest in Morrell, but again, he's kind of like last team or last pick of your 12-teamer. Maybe you take some interest. Uh, but I, I just see him as kind of being replacement-level value considering the pretty low runs and RBI numbers that you're likely going to be getting out of him. Maybe you get 15 and 10, uh, but I think that that's pretty much all you're going to be hoping for uh, with Morrell. If he, if he moves up in the lineup, then there could be some room there for value. But he's not going to displace her, uh, Nico Horner at the top. He's not going to displace Dansby. I just don't see a spot for him to be adding anywhere higher than maybe 6th or 7th. And even in that case, you know, deeper league, sure. In your standard 12-teamers, 10-teamers, I would not be drafting Christopher Morrell. I think there's just too many questions there. Now, in terms of the bench, again, there's nobody really here that you're going to be interested in. In your deeper leagues, Jan Gomes maybe as like your third or fourth catcher. Uh, but that's pretty much it. Now, in terms of the starting rotation... It's a better rotation than Colorado, but it's still not great when you got Marcus Stroman as your ace. He's not somebody, nobody in this rotation I'm really going to be interested in. I think Stroman is kind of overrated generally still, even though he's not, you know, he's going to pick 259. He's not somebody that they're, is being drafted very high up, but I think people still view him kind of in that Toronto and New York light of being like a really good pitcher. He is very, very mediocre, and especially from a fantasy point of view, Marcus Stroman He's not going to give you so many wins on the Cubs. The strikeouts have never been there, and they're not going to just suddenly show up. He's a 20% K rate guy, even though he doesn't walk a lot of batters. 20% K rate does not play as a starting pitcher for fantasy, specifically when you're going to limit your win upside pitching in Chicago. He's not going to be somebody who's like, I mean, he's not bad with ratios. 3-5 ERA last season. The whip was 1.15. I think that's probably his best category is ratios. And even that, we've seen bad seasons in the past from him in terms of ERA. 2018, short stretch. I mean, 20 starts from him. It was a 5-5-4 ERA. There's just, and I know you can't just look back on a couple years ago and say that's what's going to happen. But generally, he's just not somebody with any upside. There's nothing there where you pick Marcus Stroman and you think, okay, he could, he, you know, he has a path to a top 25 pitcher season. Or something. There's just, there's nothing there to suggest that he's going to be any better than he has been in these last couple seasons, which is very mediocre. You're not getting any Ks. I think the best category for him is probably ERA, and that's a pretty volatile category. All it takes is a few really bad starts to blow that up for you for the whole season, really. And Marcus Stroman, definitely somebody who can get blown up. We've seen it happen throughout his career. I think he's okay as like your maybe your sixth starter on a team where he's going, that's probably the price around pick 260, fifth, sixth starter. I don't get excited. I really don't get excited about the thought of having Marcus Stroman on any of my teams this year. Jamison Tyone, he is one of the new additions. He's going to be the second guy in the rotation. Could there be some value with Tyone? Maybe a little bit if he keeps the walk rate down. Again, just limited upside in terms of strikeouts, in terms of wins. I think the ratios are probably going to be okay, but you can't go into a season drafting somebody just because you're thinking their ratios are going to be all right, and that's going to be probably their best category. Like, he won 14 games last season. That was as a member of the New York Yankees. Pitching for the Cubs, which are they're a team that's probably going to win. What did they win last season? It was 
Um, what was it? 74 games. I don't think we're going to see more than you know, probably 74 again. They got a little bit better. But, you know, absolute best-case scenario is breaking even for this team. There is not a lot of win potential. There's no strikeout potential with Tyone. Maybe the whip will be okay. But, you know, these last couple of years, he's got a bit of a homer problem. Maybe that's because of Yankee Stadium. I just am not really trying to have guys like Tyone and Marcus Stroman on my roster. There's just truly no upside, even though the prices are fairly reasonable, 242, 259. I don't think the best case scenario is a top 200 player for either of them. I think it's probably about where they're being drafted. So if you're okay with a low floor player like Stroman, like Tyone, I mean, I guess they just not somebody, neither of them, that I'm going to be targeting at all. I just do not find those kind of players to be ones that I'm interested in for fantasy. I'd much rather look around the same range and go for Edward Cabrera or go for literally like anybody else, guys. And that range, like there's just there's not like a, a ton of pitching options, but when you're talking, you know, Trevor Rogers, I'd rather buy in on a Trevor Rogers bounce back at that price or Get Carlos Estevez, who's going the exact same price as Tyone, and hope to have an elite closer. Maybe not an elite closer, but a very good closer. Garrett Whitlock, I like more than both of these guys. And their teammate, who we're going to talk about here, Justin Steele, he's also going a little bit beyond them, about 20, 30 picks. Justin Steele last season, you know, people have talked about the level of competition he faced. It wasn't that great, but he was really good. Gave you a 318 ERA with the indicators to back it up, a 320 FIP, 348 XFIP. 359 XERA, and he was actually striking batters out. It came with a bit of a walk problem, but he had a 25% strikeout rate. You know, the 10% walk rate, it kind of sucks. The whip was not great, but at least you're getting the strikeout upside. At least he was able to actually go through major league teams and give you decent ERAs. Like, were there a couple of bad starts for Justin Steele? Yes, but over the course of the season, he still gave you good numbers, and you're not likely going to be getting that from Stroman and Tyone. Maybe you'll get similar ERAs, but in terms of strikeouts, you're not going to get it. In terms of wins, they're all going to be generally in the same boat. Nobody on this team is going to win a lot of games. I would wager good money that no pitcher, no starting pitcher that we talked about today on either team ends up with 10 victories. But with Justin Steele, you have those strikeouts to fall back on at least. I'm interested. And at pick 280, I think at that price, you're you're probably not going to get hurt. And, you know, you're not really going to get hurt on anybody at that price. You're going to drop a lot of players who you pick after pick 200. But you get that strikeout upside, even if it comes with the lack of a win upside. He already showed last season that he can give you a pretty decent ERA in Major League Baseball. And he has the lowest projected ERA this season in the rotation at about 377. So if you're going to take a pitcher on this team, don't go for Stroman or Tyone. Wait a couple rounds and go for Justin Steele. Now, the last couple guys in the rotation, Drew Smiley, Adrian Sampson, I think that there may be some streaming appeal with Drew Smiley. Again, he's not somebody that I'm targeting. I'm not going to be drafting him, but I think when it comes to streaming or maybe like your like last pick of the draft, maybe you go for Drew Smiley. But even then, I'm going for more upside if I can here. There's not a lot of strikeouts in him generally about 20%, maybe a little bit better for the career, 23%. But recently we've seen that kind of go down. It's more inflated by a couple of seasons earlier in his career where he was like 28, 26% range. Now he's probably going to be closer to 20 again. 2021 is what the projections are calling for. Overall, just boring. Just just a boring player who maybe he helps you out as a streamer here and there throughout the season. But I doubt that he's really somebody that you're going to want to be drafting. He gave you a 347 ERA last season. Totally fine. Totally cool. Uh, but I think in the long run, over the course of a whole season, again, you're probably going to see something closer to what the projections are calling for, which is about anywhere from 4.3 to a 4.8 ERA. Not somebody that I am going to be targeting in drafts. And Adrian Sampson, again, just not somebody that really interests me a lot. I don't know what it is with the Whites or with the with the Cubs. None of the pitchers on their team strike out anybody. No strikeouts there at all. With Justin Steele being the high man and K rate at like 24%, that's not really a great situation to be in for your staff. And especially for fantasy, Samson, you know, even though he had a pretty good year, a 311 ERA over 19 starts, 
I don't think we're going to see that again, and the projections don't either. He outperformed his expected numbers. The projections think that he will be closer to those expected numbers, anywhere from about a 4-4 ERA to about a 5-5 ERA. That's what the bat hasn't projected for. So I'm just not there for Samson at all. Now, in terms of the closer situation, your guess is essentially as good as mine. I think that Brandon Hughes is going to get the majority of the opportunities, but there's also Michael Fulmer, who does have a bit of experience in the past. Brad Boxberger, who does have, I believe, a little bit of closing experience. I don't think that there's a ton, but I feel like there was some times in Tampa when he was saving. Yeah, he was. He was a, he was a closer in Tampa in 2015, and then in Arizona in 2018. It's been so long, I'd honestly forgotten. But there is experience there. Uh, Adbert Alzale, again, he's projected for a couple of saves. Can he give you some? Uh, maybe. There's not much upside there for me. I mean, the strikeouts are good. Um, but will he actually be? I mean, there, I, I misspoke. There is there is upside. Uh, I don't know if there's necessarily closer potential there in terms of where the way the Cubs see it. Like if you look at his stats, set, it's actually you know decent enough for a closer. Good strikeouts, pretty low walks, doesn't give up a lot of homers. Uh, the underlying numbers are pretty good. The underlying numbers for last year were actually better than the ERA. So maybe maybe Alzale is somebody who ends up getting some saves. The projections have all four of these guys getting saves. And that's the problem with draft and closers for a team like this. Like Brandon Hughes is going in the 320s, Alzale in the 430s, Fulmer in the 460s, and Boxberger in the 540s. So you can kind of speculate in your in your deeper league drafts, kind of sprinkle in a little bit of a couple of these guys, hope that you end up with a closer in there somewhere. And I think it will be Brandon Hughes. But we just don't know. Uh, we really don't know when there's four guys projected for five-plus saves. That's a headache. Even though Hughes is projected for the bulk of them, between 15 and 23, depending on where you look, he doesn't have a ton of experience. He does have a bit of a homer problem, or he did last season anyway. Uh, 1.72 homers per nine. He's giving you good strikeouts. I just don't really get excited about any of them. I think Hughes would be the one that I would draft if I was going to draft any of them because the price at 323 is fairly reasonable. But again, not really jumping to take any of these guys. Hughes would be the one I go for, probably followed by Alzale and then Boxberger and then Fulmer. It's it's really a muddy situation. I do think Hughes will be given the, the first chance, but after that, it's it's not a situation I want to be a part of. With closers, I, you know, I'd much rather take early closers than speculate on late ones. If you're speculating, you'll get situations like this where you really honestly just have no idea what is going to go on with the team. Hughes should get the majority of the chances, but we really have no idea. Now, the last guy I do want to talk about, I guess there's Kyle Hendricks as well. I think we've kind of passed the point of expiration with him on fantasy value. We saw it last year that he was not great. He's never been a big strikeout guy. There have been seasons in the past, a lot of them where he was giving you good ratios, but at this rate of his career, He's going into the season injured. He's not somebody that I really want to be taking a chance on. I want to see when he's going to be back because I'm not totally sure on the timeline for him. Uh, he's not expected to throw in the spring. Um, apparently, he took another step in his shoulder rehab about a week and a half ago, uh, but he's still likely to miss the start of the season. So don't be drafting Kyle Hendricks. Seiya Suzuki is the one who interests me, and I took him at pick 200 in TGFBI. I set the maximum pick at the time. I don't know if it's been passed now. Um, my my thought process is I'm getting about a hundred pick discount on Seiya Suzuki, even though the reports are he's likely to open the season injured. It's an oblique strain, which are tricky because those can be easily aggravated. You don't really ever have a proper certain timeline on them. But I think you know you're getting a really decent discount where you're taking him right now. If you're getting him. Close to pick 200, I'm definitely there for it. I don't know if you're going to get him there in all drafts. Generally, he is being pushed down to, well, let me just take a look at the uh, like the most recent few days and see where he's going. Uh, about 153 is where he is going recently. I got him at 200. That's the, that's the thing. Like I'm okay if it doesn't work out because I got a really good value on somebody that I do think is going to be very good this season. And the oblique definitely throws a bit of a wrench into that. But if you look at what he did last season in 111 games, he gave you good power numbers, 14 homers. He stole nine bases. He batted 262. 
there is definitely room for Seiya Suzuki to smash that ADP. I was a little bit worried earlier in draft season that, you know, he's going to be a top 100 pick and I'm just going to want nothing to do with him. The injury has saved the ADP. As much as that does screw up the potential for a full season from him, the projections, I'm not sure if they've been upgrade, updated since the injury stuff, but they're still calling for 120, 130 games with about 20 homers, 10 steals, and a 260-some-odd batting average. Once he's healthy, he should slot back into the middle of that lineup. I'd guess probably where Trey Mancini is, and then everybody else moves down a spot. But I think if you're getting him at pick 200 or in that range, call it 180 and beyond, I'm going to be taking a chance on him, and I did in TGFBI. Very happy to have taken a share of Seiya Suzuki. But guys, that'll do it for us. appreciate you hanging out talking a couple of teams here, which is going to be more of a common theme as we go over this next week. Going to try and do two teams per day. Tomorrow will just be the Phillies. We're going to have Brent Hershey here from Baseball HQ to talk some Phillies. And then mostly I'm going to do solo team previews after that. Might just be exclusively uh, solo team previews after that as I try and get through them uh, before the regular season starts. But I definitely appreciate all the support you guys have shown on the podcast and on Twitter. That much means a lot. You guys can check it out at Ethos Fantasy BB, trying to gain more followers over there. So you guys are seeing all the great work our writers and podcasters are putting out. You can get this show there every single weekday. You get It's Gone with Britton Allen. Those come out pretty much every single weekend. Britton may miss an odd one here or there, uh, but he's going to be doing those essentially once a week going forward. And Ethos Fantasy BB is where you will find the links and, of course, you'll get links to all the other articles in our draft guide and everything else that won't be in the draft guide because there will be in-season content from all of our writers. Most of them are going to be writing one piece per week. Some of them will write two. I'll write the odd thing as well. And, of course, we'll have the podcast to go along with it. So make sure you are following Ethos Fantasy BB. That's E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB. You can find my personal Twitter account, at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. And please make sure that if you are listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, that you're letting us know what you think of the show. Uh, all those five-star reviews definitely do help us to grow. And that is our goal here to try and get more people listening to the show as we move on. Just about hitting the year mark, which is very cool. And I appreciate all of you who have rated and reviewed the show so far. But let's keep doing that. Let's keep getting those numbers up. And hopefully we'll be big time at some point. But guys, we will see you tomorrow. We'll be here with Brent Hershey. I hope you enjoy. And until then, take care. Have a good night and cheers. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection. The lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24.